Chapter Nine, Part Two of Women of the French Revolution by Winifred Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Women and Religion, Part Two. To trace the progress of this anti-Christian movement, this rise of the new religion of civisme, which women professed as well as men, we must go back to the summer of 1791, when, as we have seen, Camille Desmoulins had taken his newborn son to the mairie camille's proposal written in the register on that day had been adopted by the constituent assembly the assembly had decreed that throughout france in every commune an altar to la patrie should be erected in the room in which marriages were celebrated and births and deaths registered thus says michelet the three most solemn moments of human destiny were consecrated at the altar of the commune and the religion of the family was blended with that of la patrie the world has almost forgotten that joseph fouché chief of police millionaire and duke of otranto under napoleon had once been distinguished for his civic piety after the new model yet he had carried on a veritable dragonade in the department of nievre whither the convention had sent him to superintend the administration of the law against suspected persons by fouché's orders churches were stripped of their ornaments priests imprisoned all the insignia of christianity obliterated and the gate of every cemetery inscribed with the words la mort est un sommeil éternel when on the tenth of august seventeen ninety three madame fouché gave birth to a son at nevers the father himself at the municipal altar dedicated the child to la patrie and gave him the name of nievre the altar had been set up on a vast plain outside the town on it burned the sacred fire of vesta and nearby was the temple of love for the celebration of marriages some marriages were made without any public ceremony whatever one was the marriage for the couple themselves and their families considered it as such of jean-paul marat and simone Evrard. on a beautiful day marat took simone by the hand and together they knelt in the sunlight while marat called the heavens to witness that he would never take to himself another wife after marat's death the following engagement was found among his papers the admirable qualities of mademoiselle simone Evrard, it ran having captivated my heart whose homage she has accepted i leave to her as the pledge of my fidelity during the journey i am about to take to london my plighted troth to give her my hand immediately on my return if all my affection should not seem to her a sufficient guarantee of my fidelity let this engagement be forgotten and let me be covered with infamy at paris the first of january seventeen ninety two signed jean-paul marat the friend of the people here again and in the next chapter we find marat dignified and honourable in his attitude towards women simone young well-educated and intelligent was far from being as she is depicted by carlyle and other historians a low creature a squalid washerwoman she had admired the patriotism and fire of marat's writings before she knew him like charlotte corday only with a very different intention she went to visit the people's friend she found him worried by financial affairs about to give up the publication of his famous newspaper l'ami du peuple and to go to england there to return to the medical profession on which he had practised in england some years previously simone inspired with that patriotic zeal which inflamed so many women of the revolution at once and unreservedly placed all her modest fortune at marat's disposal marat still went to england apparently but only for a brief visit on his return he accepted simone's money and used it to establish printing works the manager of which married simone's sister catherine both before and after marat's death his family treated simone as his wife 
she and marat's sister albertine lived in paris together until albertine's death which simone survived many years by the summer of seventeen ninety three when marat was assassinated the apostles of the new civisme were finding it necessary to make some concession to those anthropomorphic obsessions which from the earliest animism down to the present day have ever tinged the religious conceptions of mankind parisians of the eighteenth century like galileans of old looked for a sign and the founders of the new religion did not withhold it hébert and chaumette so soon to share the fate of other founders of religions not satisfied with erecting on the ruins of the bastille a colossal female statue of liberty resolved to give their adherents a living symbol pas une statue morte said hébert mais une image vivante de cette divinité un chef-d'oeuvre de la nature said chaumette so chaumette that arch-anti-feminist be it noticed took woman from the domestic hearth the place to which on other occasions he was always relegating her and brought her out into the churches now called the temples of reason there he put her on a pedestal exhibited her as the goddess of reason and exposed her to such insults that one goddess of reason in a norman town is said to have worn inscribed on her phrygian cap the words ne me tournez pas en licence in november and december seventeen ninety three throughout paris and the provinces feasts of reason inaugurated the new religion the most impressive of all was that held at paris in the cathedral church of notre dame on the tenth of november ah what a fine festival we celebrated last decade cried hébert in his newspaper le père duchesne in the place of the altar or rather of the boards on which the charlatans the clergy had performed the throne of liberty had been set up a charming woman as beautiful as the goddess she represented was seated on in eminence in her hand a pike on her head the red cap around her were all les jolies damnées de l'opéra singing patriotic hymns more sweetly than angels above the white-robed goddess with her mantle of blue and her red head-dress on the top of the mountain as it was called was a little round classical temple with the words a la philosophie inscribed in large letters right across its façade and on each side of the door were busts probably intended to represent voltaire rousseau franklin and montesquieu beneath the goddess and halfway up the mountain the flame of truth burned brightly on a little classical altar behind and around this eminence draperies hanging from the pillars completely concealed the ecclesiastical character of the building music played by the national guard opened the ceremony meanwhile processions of young girls in white wearing wreaths of flowers on their heads and tricolour sashes and bearing torches came forth from the left and right of the temple they passed each other before the altar bowed and then reascended the mountain and disappeared then the goddess on her throne received the homage of the republicans present who with arms outstretched sang to go sex music marie joseph chenier's famous hymn composed for the occasion descend aux libertés fille de la nature le peuple a reconquis son pouvoir immortel sur les pompeux débris de l'antique imposture ses mains relèvent ton hôtel venez vainqueur des rois l'europe vous contemple venez sur les faux dieux étendez vos succès toi sainte liberté viens habiter ce temple sois la déesse des français as the last lines of the hymn died away the goddess rose and ascending the mountain was about to enter the temple when she paused on the threshold to cast one glance over the vast congregation as she disappeared through the temple door 
enthusiastic applause mingled with oaths of eternal fidelity to reason burst forth from the assembled throng the organizers of the feast of reason had been disappointed in their hope that the members of the convention would have attended in a body as the convention had not come to reason reason must go to the convention accordingly as soon as the ceremony at notre dame was over the goddess escorted by an imposing procession proceeded to the tuileries where the convention was then sitting at the head of the procession marched a company of musicians and a band of young republican soldiers singing patriotic hymns with refrains and choruses in which the onlookers joined next came the maidens in white and then the goddess seated on her throne which was borne by four citizens this group having entered the assembly hall paused in front of the president the maidens formed a circle round the throne while the rest of the procession defiled past repeating the hymns they had sung at the cathedral what could the convention do now but join in the movement and vote that henceforth notre dame should be the temple of reason deputy rome proposed that the goddess should take her place at the president's side chaumette conducted her on to the platform the president and his secretaries greeted her with a fraternal kiss amidst great applause then the members of the convention escorted her back to notre dame where the ceremony that had been performed earlier in the day was repeated in their honour who was this parisian goddess of reason carlyle says it was mademoiselle candeille michelet mademoiselle maillard another actress others would have it to be claire lacombe others madame momoreau others again mademoiselle aubry also an actress later authorities are content to confess that they did not know although they believe it to have been one of the actresses from the opera madame montmoreau the wife of the famous bookseller and printer may have been the goddess at saint sulpice or at saint andre des arts or at saint eustache or perhaps at all three it would seem highly probable that the handsome claire lacombe personated reason in one or other of the parisian churches for she was as we shall see closely associated with the political party of les enragés the ultra terrorists to which the inaugurators of the new religion hébert and chaumette belonged as to the provincial goddesses of reason to identify them with certainty is no easier than to identify the parisian goddesses they were not infrequently we are told members of respectable families and we trust well chaperoned because in some places the worship of reason showed a tendency to degenerate into something not unlike saturnalia this aspect of the new cult added to its negation of theism and the fact that its inaugurators were his political foes provoked robespierre against it much has been written of robespierre's attitude towards women whether he was so cold as some have maintained who can tell he would appear not to have been insusceptible to the charms of lucille desmoulins there is the much questioned story of his betrothal to eleonore duplay daughter of the master cabinet-maker at whose house in the rue st honore he lodged the duchesse de brantes used to tell that when a beautiful woman went to plead with robespierre for her husband's release as soon as she had gone the incorruptible turned to his companion saying do you know that woman is pretty but very pretty as to women's attitude towards robespierre there is little doubt they either hated him as a tyrant like the young royalist girl cecile renaud or they worshipped him as a prophet the cult of robespierre was even more widely spread among women than the cult of marat on the days when he was to speak women crowded into the galleries of the convention and applauded loudly les tricoteuses de robespierre they were called as far back as seventeen ninety two condorcet 
writing in la chronique de paris on the ninth of november wonders why robespierre always and everywhere at his house at the jacobins at the cordeliers at the convention is followed by so many women it must be says condorcet that robespierre has founded a kind of sect he is a priest who has his devote obviously robespierre's power lies with the distaff toute sa puissance est en quenouille thus a patriotic song of seventeen ninety three runs suivi de ses devotes et de sa cour entourée le dieu des sans culottes robespierre est entré women wrote to him declaring he was messiah some beheld in the sky the constellation robespierre others wore his image round their necks as a charm the very aloofness of robespierre towards women as well as his eloquence and his power would suffice to attract many moreover he might be considered good-looking despite his bilious sea-green appearance and he always dressed with great care what a man is this robespierre with all these women cried one why he is a priest who wishes to become god and as a god one woman at least unfortunately for robespierre would seem to have regarded him this was catherine Théo, a spinster of over eighty who considered herself to be the mother of god and robespierre her son or at least so robespierre's enemies alleged of humble origin she was born at avranches and received little education she knew how to read but could not write and when she grew up she entered domestic service her religious mania for it was nothing short of that began to develop when she became servant in the convent of la miriamione at paris there she communicated every day and for eighteen years neither in summer nor in winter did she ever miss five o'clock mass meanwhile she lost no opportunity of mortifying her body by wearing garters and bracelets with sharp iron points for example then she fell to reading the lives of st teresa and st catherine of siena they proved fatal to the fleeting remnants of her reason and now she became absolutely deranged henceforth she believed herself the mother or perhaps the bride of christ while the majority of priests discreetly avoided her there were a few who were inclined to regard her as a prophetess one of these was a constitutional priest the carthusian monk dongel who was a member of the constituent assembly he and the fanatical duchesse de bourbon egalite's sister sat at catherine's feet and formed the nucleus of a sect of mystics who soon gathered round her at their meetings the scribe michael hastaine wrote down catherine's prophecies which were generally concerned with the second coming of christ but as they also predicted political happenings catherine one day in december seventeen seventy nine found herself lodged in the bastille there she was kept for five weeks then sent to a lunatic asylum for three years in seventeen eighty two being pronounced sane she was liberated and for a while was cured of prophesying but the revolution again upset her it seemed to her the fulfilment of all her predictions her hallucinations returned she resumed her seances first at the house of one of her numerous friends widow godefroy in la rue des rosières in the district known as le marais and later near the panthéon in la rue contrescarpe chaumette when he became procureur of the commune kept these meetings under observation his spy senard attended them regularly he described them as liturgical in character at one end of the room he said was a platform on which was catherine Théo seated in an armchair on one side of her sat dongel on the other widow godefroy the latter was the interpreter 
to the faithful brethren and sisters as they called one another who were seated on chairs some little distance from the platform madame godefroy expounded the gospels and the apocalypse dongel preached the sermon and at intervals another woman intoned the psalms catherine's part was to perform certain initiatory rites which however were only introduced towards the end of seventeen ninety three the neophyte knelt before the prophetess while her interpreter clasped his head in her hands and said you are about to receive the seven seals of the light of god then catherine herself bestowed on her disciple seven kisses one on forehead left cheek and both eyes two on the chin and one behind the right ear initiatress and initiated mutually signed one another on the face with the cross and kissed one another twice on the lips one neurotic girl could with difficulty be torn away from these embraces when catherine's followers were ill they came to her for healing and she is said to have cured them of leprosy blindness lameness paralysis and other maladies soldiers starting for the front came to catherine for her blessing as a charm against death lovers thought she could secure them success in love one disciple said he had seen the divinity in a white robe conversing with his prophetess another that heralded by a flash of lightning he had beheld god entering her house it is not surprising that in the height of the terror when suspicion ran riot these seances were held to have a political meaning already on the fifteenth of january seventeen ninety three the commune had ordered a raid on catherine's house at four o'clock in the morning three police inspectors had entered and carried off a bundle of papers but they must have been disappointed to find that this packet contained nothing more compromising than catherine's wild vaticinations and comments on texts of the bible which she had dictated to hastain the prophecies contained only two political allusions and these could not have offended the most squeamish republican for they referred to the revolution as having been foreordained through the centuries and anathematized all nonjuring priests some of catherine's comments on holy writ were not without a faint glimmering of common sense thus dealing with the first chapter of genesis and the text that in the beginning god created man in his own image she exclaims and i catherine theo who speak to you declare that god has not yet finished this work that at present he is only at the sixth day and that you are as yet not in his image at all but in the womb of corrupt nature despite the failure of this raid to discover any political plot at la rue de contrescarpe the suspicious authorities were by no means convinced of its non-existence the mystics were closely watched first by the spies of chaumette and after his death by those of vadier a leading member of the committee de sûreté générale and the sworn foe of robespierre by the summer of seventeen ninety four a feud had declared itself between the two great revolutionary committees vadier's sûreté générale and le salut public supported by robespierre vadier conceived the idea of using the poor demented catherine and her infatuated followers in his attack on robespierre what were the precise relations between maximilien and catherine will probably never be known she may have introduced him by some flattering allusion into her wild prophecies and robespierre puffed up with vanity and accustomed to being addressed by women as a demigod may not have objected one coincidence has not i think so far been pointed out that catherine resumed her prophesyings after the outbreak of the revolution in a house in the marais and that she and robespierre were then neighbors michelet suggests that robespierre removed the theodosie from the police archives however that may be he did not perhaps he could not 
intervened to prevent the arrest on the fifteenth of june seventeen ninety four of catherine and dongel on a charge of conspiring against the republic the absurd letter from catherine to robespierre hailing him as her son the promised messiah which vadier said was found in the house at la rue contrescarpe when catherine was arrested has been proved a forgery vadier was not incapable of forging the letter and having it concealed in the house by one of his subordinates at that time however this letter was held to be genuine and vadier used it in the convention to hold up robespierre to that ridicule to which all frenchmen are so exquisitely sensitive this happened at a most unfortunate moment for robespierre for it was just at a time when the tide that was to overwhelm him on the ninth of thermidor july twenty seventh was turning against him after a few months poor old catherine died in prison in september seventeen ninety four dongel was released during the directory le temps était au fanatisme says michelet catherine theo was by no means the only woman mystic of her day there were prophetesses everywhere some claimed to have restored the dead to life one near lyon is said to have gathered round her no less than a hundred thousand persons with pilgrim staves in their hands ready to follow her they knew not whither another of these prophetesses with whom robespierre's name also became associated was suzette la brousse she was born near vauxin in perigard on the eighth of may seventeen forty seven her childhood was passed in fits of ecstasy she could never look at a crucifix without bursting into tears in extreme youth she believed herself divinely called to become a saint and a prophetess she was a pretty girl but the admiration her good looks excited annoyed her so much that she endeavoured with incomplete success apparently to destroy her complexion by rubbing quick lime over her face at night indeed suzanne like catherine was ingenious in inventing punishments for her poor body she wore a hair shirt tried to poison herself by eating spiders mixed gall with her food and slept on pebbles like joan of arc she heard heavenly voices they bade her reform the church and drag down the mighty from their seats as early as seventeen seventy nine she prophesied that the pope would lose his temporal power the french clergy their property and that peace would reign among nations it is hardly surprising that much to her annoyance the clergy of her native province refused to take her seriously the credulous dongel however heard of her prophecies among which so he used to say was a prediction that he would one day sit in the assembly of the states-general the fanatical monk determined not to lose sight of so promising a fellow mystic he remained in constant correspondence with la brousse until the outbreak of the revolution after the establishment of the national church by the constituent assembly the juring priests whose attention had been called to suzette's prophecies by dongel began to take an interest in her one of them pontard bishop of the dordogne department encouraged her to go to paris she went tramping barefoot all the way from perigord at paris in seventeen ninety one the duchesse de bourbon ever on the lookout for curiosities in the way of religion received suzette into her house and introduced her to a number of juring priests and bishops among whom were the famous fauchet and desbois bishop of amiens to the robust sense of fauchet and desbois she was a lunatic but pontard and others continued to believe in her in the following year the bishop of dordogne founded a newspaper entitled le journal prophétique which contained little besides the predictions of la pitonesse perigourdine as the editor styled her meanwhile suzette's voices were telling her to go to rome there to deal faithfully with the holy father 
she had already so she said long afterwards entered into communication with robespierre who had confided to her that one day he would be compelled to restore the religion he was then striving to destroy and on that day he would look to suzette to help him though no credence can be attached to such a story there seems little doubt that in seventeen ninety two the constitutional clergy did actually entertain a hope that la brousse might be able to persuade the pope to give his sanction to the lately established national church with the object of inquiring into the matter seven constitutional bishops assembled on the nineteenth of february seventeen ninety two and summoned suzette before them she came accompanied of course by her hostess the duchesse de bourbon and equally of course intent on displaying her prophetical gifts before so august an assembly of the constitutional hierarchy she predicted the resurrection of the dauphin louis the sixteenth's eldest son who had died at the beginning of the revolution and of mirabeau on being asked when the resurrections would take place she replied soon when urged to be more explicit she was wisely silent on the inquiry as to whether it would be within three or four months she equivocally nodded her head not even such marvels availed to remove the doubts of fauchet and desbois but the remaining prelates were unanimous in deciding to appoint la brousse to their ambassador to the holy see before starting on her mission she took holy communion at the church of les filles saint thomas again accompanied by la duchesse de bourbon on her way to rome suzette preached in churches clubs and by the roadside addressing her audiences as friends and brethren in the manner of the orators of the jacobin club at bologna after undergoing a cross-examination by the papal legate she was driven from the town at viterbo she was arrested consequently it was as a prisoner that she finally reached rome and the castle of st angelo which was to be her abode for the next six years the directory demanded her release in vain not until the french troops occupied rome in seventeen ninety eight did she regain her freedom then at length the exile returned to france and to paris only to find that le temps n'était plus au fanatisme and that the only course open to a prophetess was to subside into obscurity especially after the year seventeen ninety nine which she had predicted was to see the end of the world suzette lived on until eighteen twenty one on her death she left pontard her executor and the sole legatee of her little fortune of three thousand francs suzette's family disputed the will but apparently without success pontard who had been diligent in publishing his friend's writings during her lifetime an edition of her collected works chiefly prophecies had appeared at bordeaux in seventeen ninety seven does not appear to have published anything after her death but as we have said le temps n'était plus au fanatisme we have seen in this chapter many types of feminine religious mentality ranging from the protestant madame de stal the philosophic madame roland the doubting lucille desmoulins to the credulous duchesse de bourbon and the hysterical fanatics catherine théo and suzette labrousse but in all their divergencies these varying types are united by one common bond by one passionate sentiment which amounted to a religion love of their native land this was the sentiment that possessed revolutionary women as well as men christians deists atheists all alike the revolution like every other great movement had its self-seekers its miserable speculators and profiteers and persons bent only on their own personal advancement but the names of these egoists are not those which are most remembered the leading women in this book even the two poor hallucinated women whose stories we have just told had a sense of national solidarity many of the women like their masculine fellow-workers made hideous blunders 
they allowed themselves to be blinded by suspicion and some of them committed serious crimes against humanity but they did it all in the cause they believed to be their countries they deserved to be called patriots and this was the title of all others that they honoured most they had at last reached one stage in the road that leads to ideals wider and nobler than many of them even imagined End of chapter nine